Welcome to another episode of Bring Out Your Undead. I'm Megan, and I have reanimated Nieka and Casey so we can haunt your speakers with our ghostly voices in this episode called Undead Ithalids Brains. This episode is going to focus on those horrible mind flares that cling to the undead with every ounce of strength they can muster with their cold, dead tentacles. But before we get any further, let's talk about mind flares. In order to find all the juiciest details, we have to look into the now forbidden and out of print tomb of secrets known as Volo's Guide to Monsters. Okay, here we go. Mind flares. They're like um, elithids. They are elithids that are like humanoid with serious mental power. <laughs> they use psionic uh, power to basically dominate their victims and basically eat their brains. Let's just, let's keep it simple, right? Something that I find terrifying is that if they're, one of their victims get away, like mid-attack, like their victim will just live a scrambled brain life. <laughs> like terrifying, hate that. It's just like no quality of life whatsoever. So what I learned is that they're actually fugitives on the brink of extinction. Um, they were once an empire living on the inner plains and they enslaved a race called the Gith. They were used for like labor and of course food, which is like pretty horrific. At some point, the Gith had an uprising, if you will, and they fought back and won. Um, no one really knows how the Mind Flayers were defeated, but they do know that it happened within less of a year. With some more reading, I learned that maybe the Mind Flayers kind of manipulated time a bit. That could have been a reason why, how some of them got away, but it's not really, and didn't state how they were defeated by the Gith. Just some so general mind, mind kerfuckery. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of mind stuff was going on. <laughs> Um, so some were able to escape to the material plane, and then, of course, some were hunted out by the gift. Now most mind flayers are in hiding. So back to the eating brains thing. So once they eat the brain, they also, like, acquire, like, their victims' memories, and they basically enjoy that psionic energy from the victim. A weird, a weird little trait about them is that like once they eat, like if they are consuming a pack of a certain type of race, <laughs> they will like dress that way. So like I, the funniest thing I could think of was maybe like a horde of goblins, if you will, I guess, then they will take on kind of like the look well, I guess the aesthetic look of a goblin as far as like clothes or if it's like a drow, right? If they're consuming drow, they will look like very like regal and like high society, if I love, you will. I love the idea that if they're dressing like gnomes or smaller creatures, they don't make the clothes in larger sizes. They just wear the clothes being like tiny crop tops, <laughs> little shorts with their tentacles hanging out, you know, like... <laughs> It's like, you don't want to change that? No, okay, go go off. <laughs> you do you. And so basically, a disgusting thing about them is that they lay eggs. And I couldn't get past this part because they have the nerve <laughs> to insert. <laughs> they have, once these eggs like hatch, there's a tadpole. It's like, oh, okay. But then they have the nerve to take this tadpole and like 
shove it up someone's ear or nostril and I can't I can't deal with that I can't deal with that I'm glad you said ear or nostril because I was like what (laughs) honestly Casey it could be any orifice and you know it (laughs) and then it makes its way to like the brain stem and just latches on and like that person like that creature becomes a mind flare so like it doesn't matter who you are like you could be like a halfling but you're going to become a mind flare like by the next day or whatever it's it's crazy it's like keep that away from me (laughs) yeah we don't like them that much we (laughs) so basically mind flares a lot of them are all part of like a network and they communicate this way to um share info the elder brain is like the most powerful in the mind flayer network. So I guess you could think the uh, like the elder brain is in the middle and then it kind of spreads out and there's like different mind flayers that are, are a part of this like elder brain mind flayer network. Um, nothing is personal. If one sees, they are all able to see. But there's one limit. A mind flayer can only stay connected to the colony network if it's within five miles. So that's like the catch. They have to stay within five miles of the elder brain. Um, Once they are like past that five miles, the elder brain can't, um, you know, listen in, I guess. And they're like broken from that network. The elder brain itself is just very arrogant and it's always like scheming and planning. There's no empathy or compassion. So it literally like does not care like at all. It, It will get scared if it knows that there's something out there that's powerful that's when it will like only show fear and it also holds a bunch of history yeah i can imagine it's more like if you think about the fact that this is a brain without a heart right so like where does the soul the emotion of something or a creature come from like it's probably like if it's not that side of the brain right they're just functional they're smart they know what they're doing they're clever but the emotion's not there because you're missing in my mind that soul or that heart that keeps them empathetic right that's how i see it anyways but well, that's how I see it too. It's it's a narcissist. <laughs> like uh <laughs> every time I see a mind player, I'm just like, you fucking narcissist. Like <laughs> their grand plan, which is crazy to me, their plan is to figure out how to destroy the gift and to figure out how to rule over humanoid creatures. So they'll like they'll basically study humans like the end game i believe for like all mind flayers is not just humans but humanoid creatures but their end game is how do they how do we function why do we like the things we do like they are like studying us so they could take over the world and enslave us all and then like you know while they're studying us they're like feasting on our brain um they rely on telepathy um but they do this like weird thing where oh yeah this is the thing that got me okay so like they they communicate telepathically right but then sometimes they want to talk and so what they'll end up doing is stuffing one of their tentacles down their throat (laughs) and they use it as like a tongue and try to talk that way like why I mean, like imitation is the best form of flattery. Like what? <laughs> Ugly. <laughs> like don't do that. 
I would oh. just like lose all respect for them if they did. It's like, are you sure you're as terrifying as you say you are? Exactly. I'm like, get out of my face now. What is that? What are you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. I also learned about mind flare thralls. So a thrall was once a humanoid creature just living its life until one day it was stripped of its personality, memories, everything that was like just everything. They're just stripped of it all. And then they were rebuilt in a specific way that a mind player needs it to be. I'm not going to get into like kind of the laid back stat block of it all. But if you want to read up on it, you can turn to page 76 in the book and it will lay out what the basically all the bits and pieces of what a thrall can do. But basically they are just stripped humanoids of their, their brains are stripped. They just do the mind flayers bidding. Basically they're just like mindless soulless creatures. And it is unsettling. To top it all off, they have a flying ship called a Nautiloid. I think that I'm saying that correctly. And they're able to like move to like different worlds on the material plane. Like, okay. So they're rarely used as weapons, but when it is used as a weapon, there's like no coming back from it. I was getting like flying saucer vibes from this. That's where my mind immediately went. Classic alien. Yeah. Um, some colonies. They live on it and it's like base it's a great layer to stay away from your enemies. This ship can hide out in the mountains. It can just it's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Um <laughs> so their thoughts on magic, which is very interesting. So arcane magic, they see it as an abomination and they plan to erase it um, when they get into power. Some who do pursue it. Um, are kind of like the lone wolves. They're kind of like the rogues that are doing their own thing. They want to break from that elder brain control. And a lot of mind flayers will turn to, um, like, um, what is it? Leech, I can't say it. Become a lich. Lichdom. 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 Yeah. As far as divine magic goes, um, you won't see them worshiping any entities, but they do participate in this like philosophical mental state. And so there are two. So it's the um, Manzakorian. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. It's like the concept or practice of laying all the memories and knowledge bare all at once. And so it kind of just reminds me of if you've ever looked at, I'm sure you guys have watched Loki that one scene where like the multiverse was just like laid out and yeah. it was like a big old map. Yeah. Um, that's what that kind of reminds me of there. If they focus real hard, they can kind of pull up like all knowledge and all that type of stuff. And that's what I got on mind flares. They're wild. I hate them and I don't want to ever talk to one, Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like I'm going to have to soon. <laughs> yeah. You're playing and in it. You, you are playing in an Adam campaign, which means that you will eventually come across one at some point, whether you know it or not. You probably have come across them and you just don't know it at this point. Like, I feel like it's the D&D the &D movie had a great moment in the sense where, like, they were, like, pinned against a wall and the mind flayers walked by because they weren't high enough intelligence for them to bother attacking them. Fucking died. <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> it was it was intellect devourers sorry intellect devourers yeah, yeah. that's what i'm thinking of oh. yeah. but it, yeah it's the same yeah, yeah like they are so they are very complex 
very, very complex. Like if you're going to use them in a campaign, there is a lot of research to do to make sure you do them justice. And they do have like somewhat tragic beginnings, but then they just, you know, become so wildly what is their alignment generally i wonder i guess like as a dm you could kind of play on is this a mind flare that's a part of the elder brains network or is this like a lone wolf mind flare i feel like if it's a lone wolf mind flare you have a lot more room to you know yeah yeah around agreed it would also be terrifying if it's not alone uh, by itself, because that means there's a network nearby. <laughs> Fucking frightening. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more, please go listen to episodes 133 and 140 um, of the regular podcast. Yeah, we kind of go into more, more, yeah, more detailed, like the regular mind flares and the things you'll find in like your common books. But what we're going to be covering today is some beautiful and amazing undead versions of these motherfuckers. So let's raise some dice, ladies, and see who gets to go first and talk about their amazing mind flare. I have to grab my dice. I forgot. Is it your first day? (laughs) (laughs) It's not me today. Lord almighty. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, I rolled a 12. Eight. Two. Two? Ah, uh, okay. I'm going to talk about the Alhoon. So the easiest sentence to describe what an Alhoon is that they are mind flayers who use a shortcut to lichdom. So as we know, and as we've talked about liches in the past, especially on our podcast here, there's a long process that goes into becoming a lich. It involves wizardry, it involves magic, it involves phylacteries, it involves sacrifice, all these things. Anyway, so as Mika kind of mentioned earlier, there are, mind players don't technically move towards magic use outside of their psionics. Those who do are considered to be outcasts, and then they tend to lose their connection to the elder brain and are cast out of the colony. And some of these will turn to lichdom as to not die outright so how does this temptation happen so the most common written theory is that the mind flayer uh gets a hold of a wizard's spell book or something like that uh looks at it and sees a new way of thinking gains that knowledge again they they love knowledge so they're going to digest books read books meet people absorb their brains they can imagine they found a wizard and was super interested in what they had to say and all the spells that they had to cast it's a whole new way of thinking right So again, not necessarily to make them a patron, because as Mieke had mentioned, mind players don't necessarily worship anything, right? So that's not what this is about. This is about knowledge seeking and then using a shortcut to get to this lichdom here. So again, they would seek that separation from the colony because they would be out casting better ways and like higher seeking of magic and knowledge. But then in turn, this means that if they die, since they've separated from the colony, they will not return to the Elder Brain Collective and die outright. So again, this is what causes them to seek that lichdom so that they don't die, so that they can live within their freedom outside of the colonies. However, to become a lich in this way requires a strong source of magic. So originally there was a group of nine Mind Flayer Arcanists who together formed the original Alhoon, who not only assisted each other in obtaining lichdom, but anyone who follows them has a chance to do the same. So again, the process is a tough one. First, they're making what's called a periapt. Periapt? Periapt. <laughs> I practiced this word before this. and <laughs> Periapt? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's of the mind trapping. So it needs to be created. Basically, it, it almost looks like a like a cauldron or what you would think would be like almost like a a nice fancy jar, basically. 
Um, and this thing needs to be created, which requires three arcanists. So three of these Alhoun will help them do this. And then there's a whole whack of sacrifices like that are required. Since basically what happens is, is the older the person or being that they sacrifice, the more years are added to their life. So that person is sacrificed, their mind and soul is then absorbed into this basically makeshift phylactery, and they now live within this thing. And then if the old, so let's say they did like a 200 year old elf, that mind flayer now gets 200 years added onto their undead life. It's a numbers game. The numbers game. So the Alhoun can basically continue to sacrifice people and add to, and it's basically a communal jar of souls that multiple mind flayers are using to sacrifice to add lives to to add lives to themselves so they live longer so obviously this is the similar to like a sacred item similar to what a phylactery to a like to a lich would be because should it be found and destroyed all hell would break loose so on and so forth however the reverse effect of that is because they're so connected to this thing if they are eventually killed outright they don't come back to life the way a lich would when it comes to using a phylactery their soul is actually put inside of this thing with the sacrifices that they killed and then they have to live their life out inside this thing with the people that they murdered Ooh. yep <laughs> yeah. so not and great. they have they there's no way out nope Ooh. nope 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 yikes <laughs> yeah big yike um, so physically an Alhoun and yep. a Mind Flayer don't look that much different, except the fact that they don't have a mucus coating the way that a classic Mind Flayer would. So they're actually dried up and cracked looking and have sunken eyes. And like, it's as if it's like this skeletal version of a cephalopod. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go see me and we lose it in the corner. <laughs> It's like an octopus that got stuck on land when the tide went out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's its face. Yeah. But same thing that uh, Mieka had mentioned that they do tend to dress like the people that um, like the cultures and stuff like that, that they like absorb. So obviously they absorbed wizards at one point. Right. So they tend to like the imagery in the book is they're cloaked like a wizard. You know, like they've got the long robes, like cultist robes, like that whole nine yards, right? Um, so at the end of the day, they are considered a medium undead creature that is neutral evil. So again, how I mentioned my flares tend to be neutral, but it's just usually neutral evil. They're on that side of the spectrum because they are selfish narcissists at the end of the day, like we kind of agreed. At a CR of 10, they can be pretty tough to kill, especially outright. Since they are inherently spellcasters, they can cast shit like detect magic, detect thoughts, disguise self, mage hand, and prestidigitation. Uh, but once per day, they can also cast dominate monster, invisibility, and modify memory. They can also plane shift, but only for themselves. So all these spells, to me, scream, if shit's popping off, I can run away. It's like, if they're survival spells right? They're just basically yeah. like, I need to keep myself alive as long as I can, which means I need this magic and these spells to remove myself from a situation that endangers myself, right? Uh, but its attacks, however, are quite scary. They do have a multi-attack where they can use either its chilling grasp, grasp or its arcane bolt. So chilling grasp is an attack where it helps regain, where when it hits, it actually regains health points from you. So it, like saps your health and adds it to itself. Or it uses Arcane Bolt, which is a hefty force damage spell that just causes a heck of a lot of damage. On top of that, they have what's called Mind Blast, which is a 60-foot cone of energy, like psychic, psionic energy, 
which requires a saving throw or take a shit ton of damage and be stunned for one minute. I would like to remind people that in D&D, one minute is 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. So you can retry and do this save every, at, the end of, at the end of every one of your turns. Um, but if you don't make it, that is a long time to be buttfuck useless in a battle. Yeah. And then be like, continue to be attacked. So then like you drop to zero hit points and then you can't roll for your death saves. Yep. So it's like, suck <laughs> Bad it. Bad news. So on top of that, they have what's called negate spell, which is because they can do this three times a day and it basically stops any third level spell or lower if you are within seat at 60 feet of it as a reaction. So it's like, I'm sorry, I, I, none of your wizardry nonsense. And they just like <laughs> wisp it away, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah, fucking frightening. So it's, it's, it's such a weird thing though. Cause like they can't, it's not that they can't be killed. It's just that they are so dedicated to survival, right? So, but anyways, mm. we'll get into it. We'll roll some dice. We'll raise some dice and I'll ask some questions around this sucker. Okay. 15. Seven. Seven. I got seven too. Roll well, off, children. Roll off. Oh, 15. Seven. <laughs> All right. I will go first. That's fine. <laughs> so role-playing tips for DMs. Again, <laughs> these things are survivalists. So if they want, if if your group or your party sees one, it's because it chose to be found or it chose to be seen. So that's something you have to keep in mind is it's not going to be surprised by your group rocking up to it. Like it's very much in survival mode. It will see it coming. It knows what you're planning. It's probably hunted them longer than they've hunted you that whole nine yards. So, um, so yeah, when it comes to role-playing tips for this one, smart, smart as fuck. Oh, hold on. I'm just going to actually look up its languages. Hold on here. I forgot. Hold on here. Oh, I got it. Do you have it? Alzun? Deep speech, under common, and then telepathy. Of yeah. 120. Which I'm trying to remember what, tele- if telepathy allows you to speak any language that someone has. Oh, that I do not know. <laughs> yeah. So hold on here. Not telepathic. Telepathy. There it is. So you create a telepathic link between yourself and a willing creature with which you are familiar. So it can't speak to you. <laughs> yeah. Who speak? Who will pick deep speech and undercommon? Typically, that won't happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. And but however, like if you are operating, that's the thing. Is normally with mind flayers, you will only come across them if you're operating in a world where they technically tend to live and exist, because colonies will be in one specific place. These specifically leave the colonies so they're not a part of them so that they can live free lives. So these are living out in the world, right? So a role-playing tip for these ones would be the fact that they can't necessarily communicate with you directly. And I would retcon, like it doesn't really have a lot of the abilities, quote unquote, in the book and its stat block that a regular mind player would have. But I feel like this thing could take over your brain for sure, obviously, and do regular mind flayer things. And be able to have that communication with you if it wanted to. Because you could come across these anywhere. And not just within like the Underdark or what have you. Right? So, um, yeah. That's something to keep in mind. Is that technically they cannot speak the language. And technically rules is written with telepathy. It technically cannot speak your languages. So, yeah. Uh, Casey, I believe you were next. Yeah. It's always fun to play the the telepathy game where you know it will it will detect your highest intelligence player probably first and bef- way before you will ever see it it starts talking in your brain that's always fun <laughs> 
And what the, makes it even more fun is that you can't understand what it's saying, but you can tell like something like likely evil, but maybe not is trying to interact with you and you have to just keep moving forward and figure out what's going on. I'm trying to think of like interesting ways to make sure you differentiate between how a mind flare is connected to the elder brain and how this is connected just to that big jar <laughs> of, of souls. Yeah. You know? Like besides, like you can really um, describe the desiccated like look versus the squishy moist look. <laughs> But I think that might be interesting to try to highlight so that some players may discern that they're not dealing with just your regular mind flare here. Yeah, I think the magic yeah. spell casting is going to be a big one. So like I did talk about their little, I'm going to keep calling it a fake phylactery because again, I can't say that word properly and I'm really sorry, Adam. Um, but usually one person is told to house this and take care of it. And so I can imagine that your goal as a group, if you're going to make like a little like um, like a little mini campaign out of this, your goal is to find the one of the nine that houses this thing. One of the nine originals that carries this thing with it. And one of those things to do would be to hunt one down who needs to go and make a sacrifice. Offer yourself as the sacrifice. And it'll take you to it because mm. it needs it needs to sacrifice you to the object. So if you're trying to get this object to get like the soul of your loved one or what have you back from it, because your previous lover was sacrificed to this thing. Of um, course. As as what does tragedy, you know, tragedy, tragedy, mm -hmm. tragedy. And, and yeah. And that's the only way to get to it is to offer yourself as a sacrifice offering to one of the nine who will then take you to the one of the nine who actually carries this thing. And then in that sacrificial ceremony, you break it. Mm -hmm. Right. Ma'am. What about you, Mieke? Role-playing ideas. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about how, as far as role-playing goes, I see these as just like very calm, like very calm, weird um, characters almost. Like, but they're also very, very deadly. And so it's like... um. They like their presence isn't like, you know, like all in your face, like, oh, you know, whatever. They're just very calm. It's like, I'm going to kill you now because they have like a lot going in, <laughs> like going on on the inside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they so, look like slow moving and like frail. Um, the robe is like loose on them and way too big for them. And they're slow moving and yeah, don't really seem intimidating initially right it's it's like it's very unsettling they're unsettling and so that's how I would play it most definitely like just that calm presence and like they're just gonna rip apart the party yeah and that goes right into our next section which is like the exploration pillar when it comes to these things right and so this can include anything like environmental um the how their powers work existential horror dread body horror in general of course because we like to talk about body horror on this podcast um, we love it <laughs> we love the body horror of it and like for me it is definitely like they just in my mind because they're dried out they sound crunchy right I just want to describe what it sounds like when these things move and walk and like shift within their space right is they just they just crunch and it sounds like bones just grinding on a constant basis right even when they talk like I feel like their voices would be super dry 
right? And like raspy because they have mm-hmm. no like saliva or like what have you, right? So even if they are going to talk or like hum and a hum and a do like their spells and so on and so forth, it's going to come out like that, right? But I also feel like their environment would placate that as well. So everything around them is going to be dry. And it's because if I have to suffer and be dry, you have to suffer and be dry. Because again, I am a narcissist. So when it comes to their environment, everyone has to look equally as uncomfortable as they are. (laughs) So if you're going to be coming up to one of these as layers or walking into where it may live, it's going to be super dry, very uncomfortable, extremely dusty. But everything is technically pristine because they do have prestidigitation, which means they do care about their appearance. Again, because they're a narcissist. But everybody else around them, they don't care. Yeah. So their minions that they have walking around are dirty as fuck, don't have access to water, so they smell or they're gross. Or like, let's say they have like a bunch of kobolds that are following them around. They're gross. Their clothes are tattered. But they as themselves, this mind flayer is pristine as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Casey, yeah. for exploration? Right. <laughs> so I would want to maybe... Um, totally fuck around with the party for this. When you kill it, it goes into the jar itself. So say you need to get some information from one of them and you make a mistake (laughs) and you end up killing one and then you later interact with other ones, find out that the only one that has the information is the one you killed. And so you have to then do some sort of fuckery to find its soul in the bucket amongst all the other buckets <laughs> or amongst all the other souls to like, you know, figure out the information that you had and kind of do some sort of reveal around that. And like, it will be so happy to be freed back out from that bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be a fun spin and it would require a lot of combat because you would end up probably fighting all nine (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of work (laughs) that's like no yeah um so just so i know you said that they basically hold like all of their souls like was it within them no it's within like um it's called a parapet of mind trapping so it takes their mind okay. and their like their mind. I keep saying soul, but it takes their mind and like downloads mm-hmm. it. If you're gonna think right. about it like a cyberpunk kind of thing, downloads it into this yeah. object, and this object is now mm-hmm. full of all these sacrificial minds and souls that it's done, as well as any mind flayer who has sacrificed, become lich, and then died. So your brethren are also mm-hmm. in here, right? So it's so that's why between any one of the ones that are alive. This thing is sacred, protected, and usually in the hands of one of them that keeps it safe. Yeah. What if, so immediately my mind goes to, what if you just hear like this low hum of just like agony and just voices and just like, just things and souls talking over each other, just like this very like soft noise of chaos. That's, I, like when I think of like, um, like the horror and dread and maybe eh, kind of playing into environmental interactions. It's like you come up on this thing and you just hear this low hum of just unsettled souls that are just like making noise and you can't quite make it out. 
you, you know, you don't know what they're saying, but you just hear it. I'm like, it'd be like super distracting, of course, but I would definitely play into that, uh, that item. I yeah. That's interesting. I and love imagine, that. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, it's a good point. We both have follow-up things. <laughs> And imagine like the closer you get to it, the louder it is, except none of the other um, Alhoun hear it. Like they don't, they don't acknowledge it's happening. They don't discern it's, it's going on, but it's like everyone else that can just yeah. like sense this, you know, this item that has just so many sacrifices stuck in it and trapped in it. Yeah. What I imagine is that it's like, let's say the connection here is that the wizard in your party was the patron of the wizard that this mind flayer stole the book from that took the magic to be able to build this thing. So now the wizard in your party patron is somewhat connected to this because it was their magic that created this motherfucker. And so your wizard is the only one that can hear the cries and screams of these people's souls. And it's always been a low hum in the back of that wizard's mind, its entire existence, because it comes from their God or their patron or what have you. And then it gets louder and louder as they get closer to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes an investigational piece for that character specifically. And your group has to make the decision whether they're going to follow that little breadcrumb and like that exploration piece of do we follow these voices that this wizard is hearing or do we tell them they're crazy and we move on? But totally. Like, yeah. You could add in even like, like a- as they get closer, once they reach a certain distance, they have to then do con saves like every five minutes or something because it's just like overwhelming and like they're if they end up in combat around this thing they're having to roll concentration like all the time for any spells like they're just yeah it's rattling them <laughs> yeah because it's the, the your patron is like this thing can't exist i did not want this created with my magic get rid mm-hmm. of it and like that's your that's your wizard your party's job is to get rid of this thing and that's the exploration piece is that fucking audio that me was saying it's like it'd be awful like oh mm. um yeah. all right combat ideas for these little gentlemen um again i don't think they're gonna want to fight you directly i think that they are going to have a small little army of other mind flayers or they're going to gather kobolds or they're going to gather things that will fight you for it and then it's going to use its psychic magical powers against you from a distance and if you get too close or if it feels like it's losing it's going to retreat from battle it's going to use every spell it has to get itself off that battlefield right it doesn't want to be here so i it survive it's a survivalist right all of its thing leads to i want to live forever but even its lichdom, it can be killed. So if it's going to get into a physical battle, it ain't going to be happy. It's going to be like, no, no, because I could die and I will end up in that fucking jar with the rest of the souls that I've murdered. So no, thank you. Right? Like, <laughs> What about you, Casey? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. They're going to avoid taking damage. So like the counter spell, the, that ability to basically negate third level and lower spells So they're going to be extremely frustrating because they probably aren't going to engage in like attacks on you. They, but they may still do plenty on each of their turns, (laughs) but you're going to have to try and figure out what their, what their deal is. Um, And hopefully let them go if they retreat because it could just end bad. 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a very defensive combat style that you would play with them. So I'm like very hyper-focused on that little thing of souls, little that little thing of just carrying around souls or whatever. What if, and this kind of does, this does dip into body horror a little bit, but when it dies, what if on its last, once it hits zero, as a DM, you could just make like make like a horror show of like when it dies all of the souls go like through the body and like out of its mouth like <laughs> i don't know it could be the wine i don't know no no no. i love that imagery of when they die like there has to be some kind of cool thing that happens when they die right so pop off <laughs> so like all the souls just and it's like i don't know where they go like as a dm you decide what happens like once they like come out of like their mouth or like tentacles or like whatever and like it just like evaporates basically yeah so it's kind of like the souls are reclaiming almost and then it's gone and like that happens whenever they die like you know the care like your players don't get to choose like how do you want to do it like as adam would say like how do you want it to kill them they don't get to choose they get to watch this happen i think that would be pretty cool yeah imagine that those souls like kind of burst out of it and then pull its like brain or knowledge out and then it drag it to that like item so it's like all of the sacrifices that it has done come back mm-hmm. for it and like have seek like get some revenge. It's like, oh, you're coming with us now. And then and then pull it into the item with them. And it's like, hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's terrifying. Love it. I love everything about it. <laughs> all right. Well, that is the Alhoon. Casey, you're next. <laughs> All right, so we are moving on to the Illithilich, which is when that amount of power takes place so a Mind Flare Mage actually becomes a Lich. None of this fast-tracking shit. It actually happens. So the Mind Flare Mage has to have enough power to, like Megan said, craft a phylactery, cast the imprisonment spell, and then become a Alitholich. So this details on this can be found in Volo's Guide to Monsters. And the Alitholich uses the stat block for the Lich, but then you layer on a lot of the abilities and actions from the Mind Flare. So it's boosted. Um, The Lich stat block is in the Monster Manual. It has a CR of 21, and the Alithalich is boosted to a CR of 22. So this is, this is end game. <laughs> like this is like, you have been working towards this for two to three years in your party and you're coming up to this, this type of encounter. Um, Cause just a reminder too, that a straight old mind flare is CR seven. So we're talking like, seriously powerful territory and next level. So let's go over a few of the key boosted mind flare capabilities that the Alithalich has beyond the Lich stat block. Uh, it can speak deep speech and under common and have telepathy out to a range of 120 feet, which is the same as the Alhoun. 
It has magical resistance, meaning it has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects and innate spell casting. And it does not require the spell components to be able to cast at will, detect thoughts and levitate and once per day, dominate monster and plane shift, but that's only on itself. So that is an addition to the Lich spellcasting, and the Lich is a 18th level spellcaster. So that is also like a huge list of spells on top of that. And it uses intelligence for spellcasting. The spell save DC is 20. So <laughs> yeah, you got to bring anything and everything you got to, to this if you're going to try and fight it. Um, so getting into some of the actions. So long as the Mind Flayer Lich, the Alitha Lich, feeds captured souls to its phylactery, it is able to use its tentacles to attack, and it can continue to have the Mind Flayer ability of extracting brains. So yeah, this Lich can extract brains and do its thing. The tentacle attack is elevated just a bit. Um, it has a plus 12 to hit versus a plus 7 with a straight lich stat block and on a hit it deals an extra 1d10 psychic damage so it ends up being 3d10 plus 5 psychic damage on a tentacle attack if the target is large or smaller it is grappled by the tentacles so a regular mind player can only grapple medium or smaller so now it can grapple large or smaller and the creature must succeed on a DC 20 intelligence save or be stunned until the grapple ends, which is a big boost from a DC of 15, which is with the regular Mind Flare. So everything is just elevated and making it just that much more powerful. For Extract Brain, this melee attack is at that plus 12 to hit versus plus 7. Um, but then it works exactly the same as the Mind Flare. Uh, it's also pretty badass. We already talked about it. But when it has one incapacitated humanoid grappled on a successful hit, it can it deals 10d10 piercing damage. And if the, the, da if the target is reduced to zero hit points, the Lich kills the target and extracts and devours its brain immediately. <laughs> so... Bring on the trauma. <laughs> um, the Alithalich also has the capability to do Mind Blast, which we talked about as well before. It has a recharge of five to six. The Alithalich emits psychic energy in a 60-foot cone, and the DC is boosted to 18 from 15 for the intelligence saving throw. And on a fail, the target takes 5d8 plus 5 psychic damage and is stunned for one minute, which is a slight increase from 48. And yeah, like we said, one minute is 10 rounds in a D&D &D combat, combat initiative. You can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of your turns and the success will end the effect. So just imagine... <laughs> Being hit by the mind blast, and then it comes over and grapples you with its tentacles and extracts your brain while you are stunned because your dice hate you <laughs> and you can't roll high enough because it's not an not. easy DC either to hit. Nope, nope. <laughs> So finally, the Alith Lich has legendary actions because a Lich has le legendary actions. So 
the list I'm going to talk about here fully replaces the lich legendary actions and the and the stat block in the monster manual. It can make a tentacle attack for one. Um, it can extract brains for two actions, and it can use mind blast for three actions. So it has a total of three legendary actions it can use. It can also cast a spell, and it can cost up to three actions depending on the spell level. So one's like level one spell will cost one action. So it can cast up to a third level spell it has prepared just using a legendary action. So again, when a Lich is an 18th level spellcaster, it has ninth level spells um, and a total of 20 spell slots. So this is on top of that. It can pretty much, if it wanted to, cast three additional spells that don't use spell slots and are just legendary actions. Per round. <laughs> um, so it's it's a lot. Like if you thought a lich was horrible, this is just bring all that psionic power and that fuckery into it. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. But the, here we are. Yeah, it's everything you thought you were afraid of and now make it worse. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the yeah. CR of this? Sorry, the CR of this? It's... 22 and thought, so like yeah. the alhoon was 10 and a mind flare seven so like you just you may never experience this in your party unless you're unless you make it to 18th to 20th level i would yeah. say yeah or your big bad big big bad evil guy you built an army to fight like you're not yeah. doing this on your own right yeah exactly so. all right ladies let's raise some dice let's talk about this ithalich Nat 20. What the fuck? Well done. Nine. Six. Amazing. So Casey, you're first. So let's start with role-playing inspirations for these folks. All right. Well, I think this one is going to be less concerned about um, potentially running away. It still has, you know, a whole whack of spells to, um, like, bring abilities down in the party and deflect and be able to peace out if it wanted. But I think this one is more aggressive in trying to gain knowledge and do the brain devouring. So it has the power and it has the comfort of that phylactery being guarded by, you know, who the fuck knows. And so this one is extra scary because it probably won't start the fight, but it will not back down. It's it's going to be a really, really tough fight. Mm -hmm. no, and you're I think not wrong. the only, yeah, like the only time it's going to run away is if you knock it down to being almost dead, then it might be like, okay, fine. But I don't think it'll leave without at least devouring one brain. Yeah. <laughs> so just hope it, you got a lot of NPCs around. <laughs> So yeah. I love it. Um, here's my plot hook that like ties into the fact, Casey, that you mentioned that these things love to absorb knowledge. Like their goal is to absorb as many brains as possible, so on and so forth. Connect these with the the fake liches, and this one lures them away with magic, like other mind flayers away with magic, gives them the ability to be liches with these items that are now being created. And like, and then they fill these objects filled with minds 
right? So over years, these fake liches are filling these items, that parapet or whatever, <laughs> um, <laughs> filling it with like all the mines that they can. And then eventually these actual lich, illiches, illiches, eventually this illithilich will actually take those fake phylacteries and absorb them. Yeah. Hundred percent. That's just that's easy pickings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there. I so I feel like the main storyline is your your group, your player, your fighters, like your group of adventurers. They think their goal is just to find the nine of these Alhoon to get rid of this item, but this Elithilich is doing the same thing, and like they're being picked off before you get there by this bigger evil. Because it's picking them off one by one before you can get there. And you just get a glimpse of what this thing is every time. And then at the last final battle, it's you versus this thing for the, the phylactery of souls. Like, Amazing. Yeah. Ooh, what about you, Mieka? What are your thoughts? Um, Immediately, I go to role-playing tips for the DMs. In a one-shot, make this like a trusted NPC. Like... <laughs> Use that narcissism, use that manipulation. <laughs> Manip- you know what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's how I would play it. I would play these in a one shot. Like you, like, you know, the party's trying to get somewhere. You have a mind flare or, um, I'm sorry, an elithilich that's here. That's like, you know, I'm trying to get there too. I'm trying to, you know, we have, we both have the same thing, you know, the same goals and you work your way up until you get towards the end and you realize, oh, this is the big, bad, evil guy the whole time. And then your players have to, like, defeat this this being that's been with them the entire time. Yeah. And, the only, yeah, and the only reason it's following your group around is because you have an all-powerful wizard that's in your group that it wants to absorb the brain of, but is waiting for it to, like, this is going to sound awful, come of age because it wants it to have enough like a certain amount of knowledge in it before it absorbs like it wants you to be a certain level of wizard before it takes it so it's totally. just fo- so it's just following yeah. you around right <laughs> like trick your party trick your players like they're already going to be very apprehensive to having one of these around but convince them down that like this no don't worry this is it's fine blah blah blah, blah. It's normal. and then you yeah (laughs) and you can even play them off as some sort of like noble or royalty that you know act really arrogant um perhaps have some sort of facial cover or disguise on because they don't want people to know who they are but they're actually just covering up that they're this creature yeah yeah sneaky they're so sneaky and they're spellcasters in my mind so the um uh fuck I'm bad at names today. Names are hard for me today, guys. The Alhoon have one of their spells is that they can disguise self. I don't see why an Illithilich would not have the wizard spell disguise self and be able to just look like one of y'all and be able to be a part of the party, right? Yeah. I was trying to quickly look it up in the Lich spell list, but at at a quick glance, I can't see it. But yeah, like it makes total sense because they're so intelligent and clever, like, and the charisma is high so they would easily do that because they're just they're crazy <laughs> they're narcissistic you know guys yeah. <laughs> disguise them as like a sexy npc and yeah man like, i can 
Like I can fix them. <laughs> I can fix them the whole time. Oh, and God. then at the end, it's like, I can't fix them at all. <laughs> I hate it so much, but we know we would do that. We would play into that trope. We'd be like, I can fix this man. And like in um in a couple of the role-playing games that I play, we actually ask the question in session zero. One of the questions we ask during character building is who is your ideal partner? Who is your ideal mate? Do you have an interest in being married? So that as a DM, you can be like, okay, yes, I will find and I will build the perfect NPC that your character could potentially fall for. As a DM, I would use that information to my advantage if I was going to have one of these in my game. 100%. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there you go. Yep, done. <laughs> All right, exploration pillar. Casey, any thoughts, feelings, emotions? Well, there's... There's no specific art for this variant of the Mind Flare, but when you look at like the Mind Flare, the Alhoon, and you mix it with the art for a Lich, I just imagine um, like it's a Mind Flare, but then it's lost its skin and it's a, it's skeletal. <laughs> so like... Like the, if it had tentacles, they have been desiccated away and it has like this, its skull is that of what a mind flare skull would look like without the tentacle face. And like, I want to say it's so horrific that way that even when it does the tentacle attack, it's actually like this magical tentacles because it's just, it's this, it's old. It's, it doesn't die. So its body is just wasted away. So it's figured out a way to just use a magical grasp to do the tentacle attacks and just keep devouring brains that way. Because the lich imagery is really fucking gross. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of gross. It's not great. Um, For me, I would like to lean into the fact that like it's it's going to have a lair because it's narcissistic. So it's going to have its own little castle that it lives in. It's going to have its own wizard's tower that it exists in, right? And again, you're not going to come across this unless it allows you to mixed in with this was your goal. You're not just going to find one randomly in the wild, right? You've walked no. up you've walked up its wizard's tower because you want the soul of your loved one back. You've walked up this wizard's tower because XYZ. Like there's a reason you are here. And it is accepted the fact that you want to exact your revenge or do your thing or what have you, or it wants the brain of the wizard in your party. So again, there's a purpose you're here. So there's going to be a layer that you walk into. So from the exploration piece, I feel like because they are at 22, those layer effects are going to like take into account. But I would add in what Miyake had mentioned earlier uh, around the fact that like audio and sound within the backyard, because like, uh, mind flayers are big on again psionic capabilities and powers so I feel like you're gonna hear voices in your head you are going to hear like the voice of your loved one in your head you are gonna hear all these things as you're going through and it's gonna be a constant this is what this is a campaign where I would put sanity rolls into play mm-hmm. and like give you a ticker to be like yeah you've got 10 points of sanity once you hit zero you're fucked mm-hmm. right so and that could be anything it could be visual too like it, this thing, even though it's not written to its kit, can probably fucking do minor illusions, right? Yeah. It it can give you, like, it'll fuck with your mind because you are in its space and it's going to find that fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it, it it is. It's end game. Like, you, this is, you go in and you either, like, 
like the chances of death are so high. <laughs> and so it will do that. It won't care. It will, it will destroy your mind instead of your body. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely. What about you, Mieka? Exploration pillar. Um, kind of bouncing off of what you were saying about that psionic, uh, that psionic power. I would in my little one shot or when it comes or when it comes out that oh my gosh this is our like big bad evil guy I would use that power to like start messing with the players and like really tap into like sounds that sound weird or like the feeling is just off and like the smell like really tap into that sanity piece of it um I couldn't think of the word sanity earlier (laughs) but I wanted to bring it up but like yeah like this is a creature you would definitely have some type of sanity meter for for your players like you're going to mess with them badly and that's how I would they start using their spells and everything yeah yeah or like you you get into a fight with a basic mob of goblins but then when they die they then take on the appearance of like your family or your loved one or what have you, right? Because yeah. it just wants to fuck with you to make you think that you just killed everybody that you love, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I would make like the second you enter its lair, everybody gets a sanity score. And that's how you introduce sanity scores to the party. And it's still a long slog before you even get to the tower or you get to the brig or wherever you're going to find it. Because you're going to encounter an immense amount of defenses as well leading up to get to this thing. Yeah, it's going to be like roll a d10, add your your wisdom, and then that's going to be your sanity score. And then it's going to be sanity saves. So every time you fail, it ticks away at that bar, right? Like that would be really cool. Oh, oh. And if you're following the, like, one of your wizards has been a target and maybe is getting hammered hard with the sanity scores, uh, the Alithalich the could talk in one of the brains and say, well, we'll say that they'll understand them. What does, uh, yes, liches be common. <laughs> Um, and as a DM, you could plug that other players can give up a sanity point to save the wizard. And so you push the wizard down to nearly nothing. And then it comes a game where, oh, well, I have six still, so I'll give you one. And then it comes to like assessing alignment, assessing loyalty, assessing self-preservation. And so by the time you actually get to the wizard, you go, you go, have had infighting. You've had questioning everything. Yeah. It be- <laughs> because yeah, you're- like, <laughs> it's emotional. It's yeah. like people are pissed off. Well, like, your sanity becomes a resource, right? Yeah. 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 And like, that's, it, that's just being human, right? It's the concept of like giving spoons to people. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard like the whole like mental health thing about like giving spoons and how many spoons you have, like introverts start the day with a certain amount of spoons. And then we hand them out to people based on our interactions throughout the day. And you only have a certain amount. And then once you've handed out all those spoons, you yourself are not functional, right? Because you don't have enough spoons to give. It's the same concept is that your sanity points are now a resource that you're handing out to your players so that like into your comrades to keep them safe. Like, no, I like we got this. Like, don't worry about it. You shake them out of their like their their brain mind and like their insanities and their insecurities to the point where like depending on what kind of player you are and depending on what kind of character you're playing, 
will give up all of your spoons to save the people that you're with or hold on to them and hoard them and take spoons from others, right? It's going to bring out a lot of different things from your players, right? So. Oh boy. Now. This is going to be one of those like session zero conversations (laughs) you have to have with your team around the sense of like, do we like player on player combat? Like I remember Adam having that conversation with me and Casey because he knew that we were going to come to fist to cuffs one day. And like, that's the kind of conversation as a DM I would have to have. And like Casey and I were all about it. We're like, yeah, man, if we have to fucking punch each other in the face, we're going to do it. Like, yeah, (laughs) I was going to power kill you easily. (laughs) Bitch, I would have burned you with the sun. Like, (laughs) I love it. I want to watch it. I'm going to. Oh, Lord. Well, I think we've talked at least enough. We kind of add a little bit of combat in there. So I think we can move on unless anybody has any like main other any other comments or things they think about these ones. No, no I think we touched on combat. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Mieka, you're up next. What do you got? I'm going to talk about the vamp, the vampiric, vampiric <laughs> mind flare. All right. And you can find all of its info. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're just going to breeze past the fact that you just said vampiric. (laughs) Aren't you an English major? (laughs) We're pulling a Mieka when when I said skeletal. Like, hold on. I'm sorry. Vampiric? (laughs) On the podcast. Pause it. Her sister was a witch, bro. And what was her sister? A princess. <laughs> she wore a crown and came down in a bubble, Doug. <laughs> you're going to look at me and you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? wrong. <laughs> that I'm Grow wrong? Up. Grow up, dude. Grow up. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Viega. I'm going to mute myself. You can have your conversation now. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you can find info for it in Varicta's Guide to Ravenloft. So when there's a degenerating elder brain, um, this um, <laughs> vamp- vampiric, I'm going to say vampiric, <laughs> vampiric mind flare, um, basically helps elder brain out. And so basically start out as this, as the ugly tadpole, guys. They took the ugly hatch tadpole before they inserted it into the humanoid person. They take it and they inject it with vamp um vampirism. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah, and then they like they inject it and then they put it in the person. And so then the main purpose of this being now is to drain cerebral fluids from its victims to feed to the elder brain so remember this is a degenerating elder brain who's trying to survive so like he's sick he's got the flu he's not doing well he's gonna die and so it's trying to (laughs) and so it's trying to like feel better okay but it doesn't cure it it just sustains it for now so these it's your red flag individual (laughs) So what I meant to say was that the mind, these um, vampiric mind flayers are pretty unstable. Okay. They're just unstable. Um, so um, I'll get to how they communicate in a bit. I'm not going to touch on that now, but like, I'll explain that a little bit later because 
it's pretty chaotic how they like their language is. So these are medium undead creatures. Its speed is 30 feet and the climb is 30 feet. So it can climb as fast as it can walk. And that I is hate that. Terrible. Yes. <laughs> I hate that so much. Like that's disgusting. Um, so in stats, 18th across the board, except for intelligence, which is a five, and wisdom, which is a 15. Okay. They have a plus five in perception and a plus seven in stealth. Um, they're resistant to necrotic and psychic damage, which basically tracks for these, you know, for these creatures. They use telepathy, which is like 100, 120 feet, but it can only project emotion, which is unsettling to me. So that's going back into like the whole language thing. Basically, they bombard their victims with like a mental static and like a visceral, like vis- visceral visions. So it's just like, again, like talking about that sanity meter that we were talking about is just, they just emote chaos. <laughs> so some notable abilities is spider climb. So they don't need an ability check to start walking on the ceiling. They just do. They just do it. And um, another ability is sunlight sensitivity, which is pretty self-explanatory. They have disadvantage on attack rolls and wisdom checks like perception um, that rely on sight when they are like within direct sunlight, like given vampiric stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some actions. (laughs) Multi-attack. They have a two-claw attack or one-claw tentacle attack. Um, the claw attack makes a 1d8 plus 4 slashing damage plus 3d6 necrotic damage. <clears throat> the tentacles are 1d6 plus 4 piercing and it can grapple, okay? You must make a DC 15 saving throw, all right? So these things can grapple. It's terrifying. They also have an action called Drink Sapiens. Um, So while it has you grappled, follow me on this. While it has you grappled, the target must make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or take 4D6 psychic damage and one level of exhaustion. Oh. what? And then it regains the number of hit points dealt from the psychic damage. And if this hit reduces the target to zero hit points, you're dead. No saving throws. You're done. You're done. Okay, so bonus action can only happen on a recharge of five or six. It emits that psionic energy in a 30-foot radius. And it mu- um, you must succeed on a DC 15 intelligence throw or be incapacitated for one minute. Okay. And it can repeat on their turn until they get a success. So it's just like doing this. Um, or, you know, you, you, you can repeat um, on your turn until you get a success to be like uncapacitated, I guess, from the, from mm-hmm. this bonus action situation. <laughs> so yeah, that's the <laughs> vampiric mind flare. Holy shit. There you go. What is the CR on that? again challenge rating yeah it's five yep yep yeah it's so five. the only reason why i can see it being five is because obviously like its hit points are a little bit lower its pool is only about 85 at, on average uh, as mentioned um and its armor class is only 15 so it is hittable and it is like you could do some serious damage on this in a small go so i feel like you would have a horde of these 
like and, and to like make his point when she like went through the the lore of it multiple will be made this is not like a once off big bad evil guy you make an army of these yeah like every round of hatchlings you just oh. in, inject <laughs> inject and you yeah. on. <laughs> could you imagine could you imagine my character being like going through that process? I couldn't do it. I'd be so upset. You as like, a princess? How strange. How strange. I would couldn't even imagine. You're prin you're you're prim you princessa. Like I don't <laughs> Oh Lord. All right, let's raise some dice. Let's talk about some vampiric mind flayers. I'm gonna call them vampiric mind flyers. <laughs> 16 15 14. whoa 14 yeah i've moved on up you're moving on up but like it's 14 15 16 so well done fam i like that a lot all right so obviously we're going to start with role playing so any kind of like inspiration things i'll start uh starting with role playing options and inspirations i'm going to talk about possibly some role-playing tips for these, as again, I feel like I would play on the fact that there's going to be multiples of them. You're not going to be fighting one individual. You're probably going to be fighting a small horde, five or six of them in one go. Uh, and their whole goal is going to be to take you down, to bring them back so that you can be turned into, your body can be used to create more hatchlings, right? So that's their job. So they're not going to really have their own, like, rhyme or reason for existing they're going to listen to the collective and the colony and the person that created them i'm i'm now going into like vampiric vampiric uh lore here in the sense where they're gonna have a hive mind yeah <laughs> they're gonna have like a hive mind and like a horde mentality of the sense that they're gonna keep you alive so they can use you for future use so their goal is not to kill you their goal is not to communicate with you, listen to your story, or what have you. Their goal is to incapacitate you or convince you to come back to its layer and or masters, right? So yeah, that's my thoughts on like role playing them as a whole. What about you, Casey? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like it too. They're um, apparently, well, not, not super low level, but it's like, oh, they're low level kind of like minions in a sense where that spider climb too like I can just imagine them you know like moving in as a large group and then like climbing all over the house or breaking in and climbing all over the roof to surround you and just attack you and corral you all together that is so creepy when whenever vampires in shows do that creepy fast movement like spiders and spider climb it's it's the worst so I would use that I would roll play them that way Mm -hmm. And not really have much um, engagement and interaction. Like maybe try to talk to them, but they're really probably not interested in that. They are just, you know, doing their job. Yeah. What about you, Mika? <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of bouncing off of you, Casey. I would, um, as far as role playing and bouncing off of you too, uh, Megan, like that hive mind mentality, I would put these guys down into like a dungeon in like a one shot or something and you got to deal with them. You got to try to like get past them. Try not to have your brains sucked out of your head. <laughs> and um, I would also play in to that whole like chaotic communication aspect of it, of their, their language and stuff like that. Oh, I would use that to my advantage. It would just 
um i feel like these are like the perfect beings to really mess with your players yeah get them feeling like yeah yeah like i'm thinking uh twilight because we're talking about vampires we're gonna talk about twilight for a hot second um when we talk about the vulturi there is the one vampire that has the capability of making you feel pain right that was their magical ability was that they like who was it who was it that played that vampire what's her fucking name uh dakota fanning. dakota fanning yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah she she played the vampire that had the ability to say the word pain like kill word pain and you would feel pain right this is how i imagine them but i also imagine them doing it behind closed doors so like let's say you're in a dungeon crawl after a certain MacGuffin, uh, but a group of these are after the same MacGuffin for their for their group, what have you. They find you first, they stay within the shadows, but they're just projecting emotions onto your party. So like yeah. as a DM, I'd be like, okay, roll a constitution save, roll a constitution save. And anyone who fails is suddenly super angry at the person beside them. Don't know why, you just don't appreciate their tone and you want to make them know that you don't appreciate their tone. Let the party turn on themselves before yeah. battle. <laughs> Absolutely. Into that chaos. I love it. All right. So looking into exploration. Um, for me, I would find these would leave a pile of bodies in their wake. Right. So even if you're like moving through a small dungeon or an area where these tend to be, you're going to find dead bodies. Uh, you're going to find dead body parts. You're going to find blood strewn everywhere. Like, and it's going to be carnage. It's not going to be well cut in clean kills. It's going to be blood splatters and like, in, like death. So like, even if you're playing in some kind of like a murder mystery and like your group is sent in to solve this murder that's happened, there is going to be blood everywhere, right? Like there's no rhyme or reason. It's chaotic. It's like just unnatural nonsense that occurs right so your your player is going to be sifting through blood they're going to be sifting through bones they're going to be sifting through skin like it's going to if you want to talk about body horror these things leave behind carnage right and that's going to be the exploration pillar like if, if even if you're going into a town where these things tend to run amok their fields are going to be covered with like the fluff of their sheep and like the hooves of their cows or is all that's left right like classic vampire vampiric things right <laughs> what about you casey classic vampiric. <laughs> you started this <laughs> yeah and it might take a while to figure out what the hell these things are because like they might look humanoid, but then they're undead. But then they have that like ability to grapple with like they must have some sort of tentacle face. There's no art to this, hey? In the um, book. There there is. And um it kind of looks like an undead gross chrysanthemum covered in random teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it other than that. <laughs> it just don't look right it don't look oh my god because <clears throat> i just i just imagine it like almost it gets they get a surprise round just because the party can't wrap their head around and especially if they're being like penetrated by that emotional damage in their brain <laughs> 
it's like it, they get the jump on you because you're you can't wrap around your head around what they are and how to defend or how to attack like they're gonna be one of the strangest things yeah <laughs> and absolutely they're gonna come in groups so like you're just you're gonna be so confused and they could be plopped into different scenarios because like we talked about they might have been tasked to go find a powerful wizard or find the wizard you know that mm-hmm. the brain had had detected or they could be you know defending and one level of defense on um, a layer or something like that so it gives a bit of flexibility there most terrifying I think would be if they're hunting your party and you're keep trying to keep ahead of them you're moving during the day and and hunking hunkering down at night trying to like brace yourselves for them them catching up to you in the darkness I don't know I don't know (laughs) there's a lot no yeah no I agree um yeah there's just it uh Mieka any exploration pillar ideas from you um I really like that the body horror aspect of it but for its victims, like when one of these things get on you, like it's going after that cerebral fluid, right? To take back because its main purpose is to take the fluid back to the elder brain that's like sick. And so um, playing into that, like let's say it attacks one of your beloved NPCs. Mm-hmm. and like face of the let's say like the body looks like fine but it's like the head of the npc just looks disjointed and just like deflated and just off like really play into that horror aspect of it like this thing is a monster and it's ugly and it's disgusting there you go yeah because i feel like your idea of like you're gonna go and like find a vampire is that it's gonna be old crusty dusty and gross or again, we, we we like or like like our generation would find that like if you're gonna go find a vampire, they're gonna be young, beautiful, youthful, like full of energy. But no, you come across this dusty ass fucking mind flare that's just absolutely like disgusting. Like ugh, like skin peeling. Mm-hmm. And you just you even as a like long-standing DMD player, you would not put vampiric capabilities and a mind flare together very often <laughs> you would yeah no absolutely you know like if you're playing a vampire campaign you're playing a vampire campaign if you're playing a campaign where mind flares exist you're playing a mind flare campaign so it's interesting yeah. to like interconnect the two because yeah. like mind flares are not necessarily necessarily but then again they're both of them have the goal of eternal life right so i would think that um illithiliches and vampires have a lot in common. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's something that can be played there in some creative, like, like combination of the fact that both they have an agreement, right? Like, if you, if your horde of vampires is going to have a certain amount of my mind flayer vampires so that I can get and reap the benefits from your hunt, and I will allow you to live and keep your own mind, right? I would love to see who would win in a battle between an Lich and a vampire. Right. Like that would be a, a battle I would want to watch. Right. Yeah. For, you know, asking for a friend. Can we make that happen? But, you know, like <laughs> their damage is just uh, it's just terrible. <laughs> That's all. 
it's, yeah. it's going to feed into that dread and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that comes down to like our last pillar <laughs> we're going to talk about, which is combat with these things. Right. And um, I think it's going to make utilization of its grapple ability more often than you think. Right. So to our earlier points and all of us had mentioned that these things are going to like be sneaky. They're going to hide. They're going to like get the jump on you. So I think from a combat standpoint, you're going to be surrounded by a horde of these and they're all going to jump out and grapple one of you. And there's going to be maybe one or two of you that are going to make the save so you're not grappled. And it's your job to try and save everyone else who's been grappled by one of these. Right. Uh, And then it's going to go into it and to escape. It's going to use its spider climb. It's going to it's just going to be all kinds of horror that you can use with these. Mm -hmm. Or if you're traversing through like a tunnel or like a dungeon, they're going to be on the ceiling that you can't reach, right? They're like 150 feet up in the air running across a ceiling and your wizard sees it from the corner of their eye or your rogue sees it from the corner of their eye, right? So Mm -hmm. what about you, Casey, for any kind of combat inspirations? Yeah, I agree. It's that, that grappling with the face, (laughs) the grappling with the face and then doing damage, whether you're like in this case, you know, attacking and sucking the cerebral fluid and sucking life, like, and healing themselves. That is where combat gets long and players get in real trouble because it's like, you're having to kill most of them twice. And absolutely, like, they could almost have pack tactics, I feel like. I feel like these move in hordes. Like, they, it's just, it just seems that way. <laughs> And so there'll be some, a little bit, they'll have a little bit more strategy, like you said, like they'll surround, they'll get the jump on you and they'll go for that, that goal. Like it's not just to shred you and move on. It's to get that attack in and then leave the body behind and bring the info with them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like their intelligence is negative, but their wisdom is plus two, which means they are technically smart enough to know when they are in danger. So they're dumb enough to group up and fight the thing, but they're smart enough to like eventually run away if they're not going to win. Right. So it's an interesting thing to kind of role play as a DM and like, remember, like know when to attack, when not to attack, so on and so forth, because yeah, they're dumb enough to not know that they're not strong enough to take you down, but they're smart enough to know when they're, when they're going to lose. Right. They have that wisdom to pull back or to attack in secret or in hiding. Right. So what about you, Mika? Combat tactics. All right. When it dies, when it dies, when you kill this thing, what if the body of what what it once was evaporates or just like it's just broken down until you see that little uh, tadpole thing, which is still alive, by the way. And it's up to your party to make sure they kill it or else it's just going to like work its way into like the next victim. Oh, How about that? Someone's got to yeah. just stomp that shit. <laughs> Light yeah. it on it's fire. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then like, you, if your party doesn't know, it's like, oh, okay, this thing just like evaporated or it just, it's done. And it got into like one of your players, like bags or something. Right. And it's just hanging out there until it can just like attach and go through your eyeball or your ear. It's terrifying. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Like, use that. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> Ew. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. 
All right. Well, that is it on our vampiric mind flare. Any other final thoughts or feelings on that one or any of the other ones that we talked about today? I just really didn't see that amalgamation coming like <laughs> that last one. Yeah. Interesting combo yeah. of artifacts. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're very, all three are very good, like pieces and role playing options, I think with your party and stuff like that they fit in really nicely to kind of be that foil or, or you know shake things up a bit yeah it, it kind of gives you the ability to take a mind flare and customize it to the world or the the, the place you're playing in right if you're playing a strad campaign you can throw a vampire version of these in right um mm-hmm. or if you're just playing like a weird wizard's tower like they might have a couple of these floating around trying to take from the wizard's knowledge to then become a lich itself whether it's going to be a proper lich illitha lich or if it's going to be working towards just like taking the shortcut right so there's it gives you the option to take these fucking beasts that we all hate and put them into Mm -hmm. any campaign you want right yeah and i liked how we touched on they could potentially be working not together in a happy relationship but like they may ally with each other and they may control one another in different ways and lots of times we don't we kind of go through a list of creatures that wouldn't interact but I feel like it's reasonable to have these in a in like one area or one realm and work with it yeah because like if your goal in life is to collect minds (laughs) and knowledge why would you not partner up with something that does that for a living yeah right like it's like yeah it just makes sense so so on a scale of one to ten rotting tentacles how would you rank these creatures as part of the undead landscape in D fifth edition starting with elhoon i would give them like i i would give them like a, a seven you know like and this is like on a scale of like one to i don't want to fight this but also i'm not overly frightened of it in a sense because they're very hyper specific they they want their magic they want their magic knowledge and like they're just the only time they're going to take a sacrifice of another human being is to elongate its life and as a human i don't live that long so they won't want me so i'm not afraid of it (laughs) what do you think Mika? i would say eight so really close to that seven it's like (laughs) it's like you know, I'm like afraid, but I don't think I'm the target. I don't think that they want me like that. I'm also not the no. target. It's okay. So, <laughs> it's yeah, I feel like it's trying to do bigger and better and eviler things. So yeah. Yeah. That I can dodge it. <clears throat> what about you, Casey? I read somewhere that when you're doing this, um, actually it's, it's in a, a journal book I did that on a scale of one to 10, you should always be not allowed to pick seven because the commitment between six and eight is bigger. Like a seven is kind of like a comfy place. It's the same thing with the number four. Cause that's between three and five. Like that's how I feel about the number four. Like- yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I just did like, um, I just fought in my mind because I was like six, seven. I'm like, I want to put these at a six. I don't know why they're a six. Yeah. They're not that, they're not that scary. They're not that grandiose. You know what I mean? Like, like, I guess because they have, they are powerful, but, 
everything is very defensive and very like non-engaging. Like they, they have their purpose. Like they, they will hurt you <laughs> to get what they need, but um, they're not vicious. Yeah. Whatever it, whatever it builds as an army, I am more afraid of than I am of it. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. Next is the Alithalich. 10. Not about it. 12? 12. 18. <laughs> 92. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, because they have all of the abilities of a regular, like, Mind Flayer mixed in with being all the abilities of a Lich put together with a whole bunch of extra nonsense. And they will fuck you up. Like, they are, because they're about absorbing any mind. It's not like the uh, Alhoon, who are very specific to, I want the wizardry, I want the knowledge, I want the magic. Elithaliches just want your brain. They don't care what your brain looks like, which means I am a target, which puts me in a and, tent. <laughs> yeah. and they have their phylactery. They're extremely powerful, and they have a phylactery, so they're less afraid of death. What if you can change them? Oh, what if you what if you can fix them? Is that what we're going for? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, me no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Get out of this fanfic of fixing an illithalich, please. <laughs> I'll give it a nine because I feel like with a good role, you can convince it to be an ally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. And as a DM in that scenario, that character's alignment is changing. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But fair enough, Mieka. <laughs> All right. And finally, the vampiric mind flayer. Eight and a half. I don't like them because like, here's the thing. I'm not afraid if I found one. If I found one of them, I know I could kill it. If I came across mm -hmm. a horde of them, I'm running away. Like, so a horde, Agreed. ten. One on its own, four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. I'm getting, it's giving, it's giving ten with the horde. It's giving three for me when it's by itself. I can take it when it's by itself, but when it's like four of them coming after, like I'm, I know one of us is dead. Like we're <laughs> yeah. just gonna be, we're gonna be hurt real bad, guys. I don't. It, they're too ugly to get away with it when they're in a horde. So there you go. Yeah, uh, four alone and nine with a horde. Yep, nailed it. Nailed it. <clears throat> Now it's time to close the casket on this part of our conversation on Undead in D&D 5th Edition. If you'd like to discuss what you've heard here today, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at r slash it's a mimic. For more episodes on monsters and other D&D topics, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of bring out your undead. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsmimic.com, as well as a store and a Patreon. You can check the show notes for details. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
button. Nailed it. I hit it. We're recording. <laughs> now we now we now we can start making fun of everybody now that we're all here and actually finally recording as opposed to like what we were doing before, right? <laughs> all right. I'm excited for this one. Mika, you've got you've got some content at the start. I do. It's a lot, but I'm gonna try to get it all done in like 10 minutes. I believe so. in you. <laughs> These things are horrible, by the way. They're horrible. And I can't believe y'all talked to one in the campaign. Like, I would not have talked at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like, that's the thing. is like, we've, many times we've said, like, what monsters and creatures do we hate the most? Many times Mind Flayers have been mentioned as a creature that we hate dealing with as players. Like, DMs fucking love them, right? Like, so it's very interesting to read these ones. Like, I, even the research I did on mine, I was like, this is fucked. This is absolutely fucked. And like, yeah, it'll be interesting, but we'll get into it. All right. Let me just, everybody get it out. I'm going to try to get all my wine lip smacks out right here at the beginning. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to start. Megan go first with a 12. You know what? Starting off slow. 12 happens to be like my average roll. I feel like like 10 to 13 tends to be where I tend to roll. So... (laughs) And sometimes that works for me. Sometimes that works against me. But you know what? Here we go. So I'm gonna take hey, a nice it's big... a it's a death it's a death su- death save success. So yeah, we live to see another day on a regular basis. I feel like Adam has <laughs> tried to kill my character nine hundred times, and she just keeps staying alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't listen to that, Adam, because I need her to stay alive. I am emotionally <laughs> attached to this character. Thank you. Um... <laughs> Just find her somebody to love. Thank you. Um, And don't kill him. Thanks. So, all right. So back to Mind Flayers and amazing different undead versions. Again, this is what happens. I go, I ad lib and then I lose my place. (laughs) Boom. Amazing. 